He's doing the ASMR segment of the show. <laughs> Randy would be the best of us to do an ASMR <laughs> segment for the show. <laughs> and I was having a trouble with uh, acronyms there. Um, and I was trying to remember ASMR, and my, my brain went BDSM. And I'm like, no, no not that not, one. You're not doing the BDSM section of the show. Welcome everyone to What's All This Then, the podcast about the Wheel of Time, hosted by someone who doesn't know anything about the Wheel of Time. I'm your host, Jackson, and I've read zero Wheel of Time books. With me is... Uh... Oh, oh, Randy. (laughs) We're off to a great start. Uh, This is Redium, uh, or Randy. Um, I have read all of the Wheel of Time books uh, at least once. I have gone through the first four uh, several times. They are... Some of my favorite kind of just casual reading. Um, yeah, really enjoy the books. So I'm coming in with at least one time full read. Um, I'm Dan. I uh, also read all the books and the prequel. And I'm actually currently uh, doing a reread, uh, trying to keep keep pace uh, between that and the show for now. Probably start jumping ahead at the season's end to the next books. Excellent. So this is this is the premise of the show. The premise of the show is that my wonderful guests here do know things about the Wheel of Time and that I do not. Um, so since this is our first episode, we're going to go over some kind of background on us as well, just to establish our credentials, our bona fides here. Um, and then we'll spend the rest of the episode kind of going over the first episode of the Wheel of Time TV show, kind of gathering our thoughts, and then we'll have a bit of fun near the end, I think. Um, so my first question for you is, have you been on a podcast before? So Daniel, have you been on a podcast before? Well, Jackson, I have not. Excellent. That's what I thought was probably the case. Randy, have you been on a podcast before? Well, you know, I have to really dig into my memory to think about all the prestigious podcasts. No, I have never been on a podcast before. First time. Excellent. Um, And myself, I have been on a podcast before once. (laughs) It was pretty fun. It was at my old job. We recorded it in like a three foot by three foot room while piling um, beanbag chairs against the walls to try to dampen the sound. Um, It was one of the more ridiculous things I've ever done, but it was a lot of fun. So So we're a little more spread out for this. Yes, a, a bit more, a bit more spread out, less intimate. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. So we'll we'll have to really bring in our own our the intimacy of our relationship to uh, to to really bring this podcast home. We're, we're three by three in terms of people, you know. There's three of us, uh, less I, I so in to, terms of room. I, I hate to call your uh, math expertise into uh, into question, but I think three times three is actually uh, more than three. Uh, well, I mean. You're actually evaluating things. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Um, and so the, the, uh, we wanted to kind of go over more generally what our relationship to fantasy media is. So, uh, Daniel, why don't you tell us kind of what your background is on fantasy media beyond the Wheel of Time? 
Uh, well, actually, I think that the Wheel of Time kind of sits in sort of a, a central place in my relationship to a lot of fantasy literature. Um, so I guess, you know, started, you know, my my first love of fantasy is going to be uh, the Discworld series. Uh, so that was, you know, that that got me through uh, elementary school and most of high school. Uh, and there's actually a friend of mine gave me the Wheel of Time, the the first book, The Eye of the World, in uh, early high school, and I didn't read it at the time because you know, I, the point I was I was super into Discworld, and I looked at the cover, and just this the cover looks like just super generic fantasy, uh, so I wasn't really into that. But then a couple of years later, I read it and I loved it, and it's actually sort of led me on. So in the later books, when they started being written by Brandon Sanderson, that led me to Sanderson. Uh, once I started reading Brandon Sanderson, started moving out a bit there, uh, doing a little bit of sort of the urban fantasy, uh, sort of Jim Butcher type nonsense. So is is uh, so Wheel of Time's kind of central to your your kind of your spread in 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 fantasy, but is it like your favorite fantasy series or content? Um. I think as I think I think Discworld will probably stay my my favorite. Your first love um, burns brightest. Yes. It's uh, funny. But in terms of you know, something I guess that you consider as like epic fantasy, I, th- I think uh, Wheel of Time probably tops tops the epic fantasy charts for me. Nice. So I find it funny that you bring up Discworld as well because I think that both Wheel of Time and Discworld are two things that I had no idea existed until we were in university together. And one of you talked about them, or maybe it was someone else that we that we knew was talking about them, and I just felt like the biggest idiot in the world because they're these huge, huge popular things that I somehow had never heard of before. You, just, um, you had an aversion to round things. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Not after yeah, after reading uh, Ringworld, I just well, I was just out. Um, so yeah, Randy, how about yourself? What's your history with fantasy media? Well, it's interesting. I, Discworld actually was like it is like one of my favorite series as well, but it definitely wasn't um, how I got into it. I I would say like my fantasy experience started with Redwall um, by Brian Jackus. Uh, just really enjoyed uh, that uh, series. Redwall um, was like great as a kid, just reading about uh, you know anthropomorphic animals, but in like kind of very classic fantasy tales. Um, but I think in some ways they were pretty good preparation for how Wheel of Time is a structured as well. Like they both both series kind of yeah, it, it kind of is like very like classic fantasy. I definitely enjoyed Lord of the Rings as well. I, I read a lot of fantasy, um, so it's it's hard to like distill it. But I have always been a big fantasy fan. I like fiction a lot more than I like uh, nonfiction in general, um, and so that that's kind of been my experience with it. Nice. Yeah. So for for myself, like you guys started with some pretty kind of A tier stuff with Redwall and Discworld. Um, I got started with some pretty C tier stuff, I think, in reading Deltora Quest. I don't know if either of you have heard of Deltora Quest, but it was this this was in like, I don't know, grade four or five. I was just reading these books and they were super short. And it was, if I remember correctly, it's just like some chosen boy needs to go between realms to collect magical gems to defeat an evil wizard or something. And every book was about a different gem. Remember, I used to have them all lined up on my on my shelf, and the spines all had the different gems on them, which was kind of fun. But it wasn't good. It was just the kind of thing you read at lunchtime at school. 
If we're going that far back, I will add Magic Treehouse to the list Ooh. of fantasy novels that uh, inspired my uh, reading of fantasy. <laughs> that that sounds appropriately C C tier as well. Yeah, um, yeah. Magic Treehouse is quality. <laughs> Another anyone... franchise that I've never heard of. <laughs> yeah, for anyone not aware, Magic Treehouse are again kind of like what Jackson was describing. They're like these fifty-page books, big, big print. You can get through them really fast. <laughs> um, they were really great for when you needed uh, to get stars for reading books in yep. class. You could yep. just get through a bunch of them. So good stuff. Yeah, and then, so after Del Toro Quest, I did read The Lord of the Rings in grade six, and I think it took me like six months to read. And I, I remember at the time I had this idea in my head that it was actually the world's longest book, um, which I and I remember just telling people that and them looking at me like, you're an idiot. Um, but uh, I don't remember hardly any of that book. It was so dense. Um, I was not really into it. I was just reading it and felt like if I finish this, it's a big accomplishment. And I think maybe that turned me off of fantasy media, or at least fantasy books, a little bit. I remember right. I was really into like the Redwall TV show, and I, I eventually found out that there were books, and I just never bothered picking them up. I ended up being more of a, a sci-fi fan. I remember in university, um, Randy, I think it was you who was, you were doing a reread of Wheel of Time in preparation for one of the books coming out. And so I decided to do a reread of Isaac Asimov's Foundation, um, at the same time, and then I think I lent you some of the books or something. Um, yeah, those are really good. I, I really, really like that series. It might have yeah. been you who introduced me to it. Yeah, I think I think it was new to you at the time. Um, but yeah, so if you look at my bookshelf at home, you know, I have a bunch of sci-fi classics like Foundation series and uh, Rendezvous with Rama and and just you know some of that stuff. And I have some some you know kind of crappy used bookstore pulp sci-fi. But I never got into the big epic fantasy stuff. I definitely know that uh, for you and Daniel, um, so Jackson and Daniel, you guys seem to really uh, connect over stuff like Star Trek Next Generation, which I think really blends fantasy and sci-fi together yeah. in unique ways. Yeah, and the the I love like science fantasy stuff as well, but I never got into the kind of like, you know, swords and shields, elves and dwarves type of fantasy book. Um, I was always more interested in having someone fight a robot than having someone fight a dragon or whatever. You know? um, and I think that's kind of a dividing line that a lot of people find themselves on one side of or the other. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cool. I, I find that that there's that there's that line that you draw for books, and then there's a similar line for TV shows. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm generally on opposite sides of that line for TV versus books. I prefer fantasy books, but like a lot of sci-fi TV. I think that sci-fi TV had a bit of a better go of it in general, though. So, <laughs> you know, like, not all sci-fi TV, especially from the 90s, is, like, that great or anything. But I feel like if you were to compare, like, some B-tier stuff like Andromeda versus, like, Xena, you know, there's, like, certain ah. qual quality differences there. Or maybe Xena's probably a bad example because people really love Xena. But, like, what is it, Beastmaster or the, the Kevin Sorbo Hercules show or something? Like, those have some pretty... Uh, low points i think compared to some of the sci-fi tv i think we grew up in a pretty good time for sci-fi tv yeah i guess maybe the you know 2010s 2020s are going to be uh the time when fantasy tv uh, sort of takes its place yeah at least that's what uh that's what good old jeffrey bezos is betting on with this new tv show so yeah <laughs> i guess we'll find out how that hey, good old jeffrey um, and especially yeah. since 
I mean, Star Wars TV is pretty good right now, but the Star Wars movies kind of poop their pants a little bit there at the end. So uh, we'll see where, which way the tides, the tides turn. Mm-hmm. All right. So should we get into the episode? Yeah. Yeah. I think you, I think you segued exactly right. Let's see what uh, Jeff Bezos has a uh, good old <laughs> JB has, has invested a lot of money into. Friend of the show, Jeff Bezos. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> got, Close personal friend. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're not going to go like scene by scene through the show or anything. And I'm not going to be editing in clips from the show or anything. That's way too much work. So what we've gone and done is we all watch the so- show separately and we've kind of taken some notes. And we're going to kind of, I guess, just go over our notes vaguely, I, I suppose, in chronological order and, and talk about thoughts we had or things we noticed about the show. Um, and give kind of our impressions as well about kind of what was going on on screen. Um, yeah. So one thing that I noticed before the show even started is that this show was rated 16 plus for quote unquote foul language, um, which I found very funny <laughs> for some reason. Um, I'm not even used to seeing like ratings on streaming shows. I don't watch a lot of streaming shows, but like I thought it was funny to put that right up front. Just like, oh, there's going to be swears in this. And then there kind of wasn't. Though, yeah. So I don't know what that was all about. And, and 16 plus is a very interesting rating. I have noticed it on a couple new stuff that has been coming out, but it like doesn't feel like something that I grew up with in terms of no. like a traditional ra- rating system. Actually, on the uh, on the subject of swearing, uh, that's actually something that I was trying to pay a little bit of attention to, um, but it kept slipping my mind. Uh, because you know the the books have a lot of great fantasy swears, mm. and I was I was keeping an eye out because I was worried that they were going to replace some of those with just fuck, which you know, good word. It's a, it's a good <laughs> fucking word. Um, but you know, if you can have a bunch of characters going blood and bloody ashes over the place, that's definitely the better choice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't notice a lot of either one. Yeah, they're really. I didn't notice either. I was kind of keeping my ears open because I wanted to know what the foul language was going to be. But it really, yeah, it just kind of didn't go anywhere. It, um, and I mean, we'll get to it. But some things happen in the episode where you think people might do a bit more swearing than they end up doing. So yeah. we'll see. They, the ratings probably just for the whole show. So maybe we'll get to some good swears later. Yeah. Um, but so the the episode opens up kind of in a a bit of a cold open where we have some some magic ladies on horses chasing down some some rugged-looking dudes. Um, and to kind of catch our attention, they uh, cast a spell to collapse this mountain pass to trap this guy from escaping. Um, this kind of bothered me right off the bat, because, like, they were on horses. So, like, these guys weren't getting away. And then they block this mountain pass, and it's like, well, shit, you know? Like, people got to use that mountain pass. This is like a road. It looks like a pretty well-traveled road, but they've just gone in and fucked up, which I thought was kind of funny. I, like, I know it's just for spectacle or whatever, but like immediately my like gotcha senses were going off on that. There's, yeah. there's a lot of things that like one could talk about in that perspective. And I think it, it'll, I think it depends a lot on like, we're kind of learning the rules, right? Like this is the mm-hmm. first scene where we get to learn some of the rules of like, what's going on in this world um and so like it'll, it'll 
I'm interested, like one of the things that obviously we'll talk about later is differences between uh, TV show and book, but I just kind of am interested to see like what the rules are within this TV show. You know, what, what can these magic ladies do? Um, and what are kind of the restrictions? And, you know, it, and I think it's a perfectly good question. Like, what, what, you know, if you can like tumble a bunch of rocks down, like, you know, why is that the choice if if you're on horseback and you have so many of you and you're so powerful why is that your choice <laughs> yeah yeah and i i think the answer in this case is it looks cool and they wanted it to look cool um and <laughs> the opening especially is like ooh let's you see a bunch of like interesting looking mountains and vistas and stuff um so they're trying to like kind of catch your eye off the bat which makes sense you know yeah, um, I will say kind of on the opening, they're adding on to that. I really did quite enjoy the opening shots. I think there were some really nice cinematography um, mm. that I, I enjoyed personally. I think I called out in my notes just like CGI mountains because um, I thought it was kind of funny. I was like, oh, we're, there's lots of nice, pretty mountains, but I mean, whatever. The they're, they're, They do a pretty good job with the landscapes and the lighting and stuff in this show. So they're, they're going for a bit of spectacle there, which is which is totally cool. Um, but yeah, so then after that, we kind of just go through and, uh, we're meeting some of our, our main characters, introducing some of their characteristics. But yeah. a thing that kind of bothered me is that the show seems to do an extremely poor job at telling you what people's names are. <laughs> um, so like for you guys who have read the books, I assume you got, you kind of know these characters' names, assuming they're the same characters from the books. We'll get to that. Yeah. But, um, like I had trouble, like I had to just like pick up names because they would reference each other when they weren't there, and I had no idea who they were talking about. And so you know, we meet um, one of our main characters and his dad, and they're they're walking along, and they I have no idea who these people are. They're just like a uh, young hunting boy and kindly old dad, and it's like you know, if these are important characters, do I need to know who these people are? Like, what's going on? So Clearly, they're of... expecting you to pause. It's an Amazon show, and if you pause, <laughs> it gives you the actors and the character they're playing. Right. So, you know, if, if you want some spoilers and, like, some details, then, uh, you know, feel free to pause a lot during uh, Amazon shows. Right. Yeah, and the, uh, or, yeah, so I don't have to bring up IMDb on uh, on my phone to, <laughs> while I'm watching or something. Um, but yeah, what yeah, that's you interesting. Of... Oh, go ahead. No, I was gonna say that that's a really interesting to uh, to note that like um, that that I was really hoping you'd bring in is like that that perspective of someone who doesn't know anything about it because yeah, names is not something I was thinking about at all while I'm <laughs> watching this because it, you know it it for the most part it does come very naturally. Um, I was more focused on sort of the de depictions and like how <laughs> these characters were presented, which uh, was really interesting to me. And, and I guess one thing that I was wondering is. Do you, how did you feel the show was doing it? And hopefully Daniel will weigh on this too, is how well is the show doing at like introducing these characters? Because when I was watching it, I'm like, some of the characters I'm getting a good picture of, but some of them I'm not. Yeah, I think... Uh, I think uh, Edwin, or Edwin and Nanive, particularly, I was... Uh, <laughs> When they were first introduced, uh, I thought that was sort of a weird, their their whole first scene of the braiding ceremony and throwing Edwin into the river. So I'm going to have to stop you. Is Nineveh the, the lady who throws her into the river? Yes. Okay, because I did not pick up her name at any point in, during the first episode. Right. 
Yeah, she I gets found... referred to wisdom a lot. That's about it. Yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. At one point, I thought when they they said something about wisdom, and I thought they were talking about, I was like, oh, is that like the force in in this universe or something? Um. But yeah, it was kind of confusing. I I found the whole. I yeah, those two characters I found kind of confusing because. So the if we go over kind of our main cast, we have like, you know, young hunter boy and his dad. We have <laughs> we have um we have braid girl. We have blacksmith husband, and then we have kind of like, I don't know, petulant poor man. <laughs> it's kind of like our cast of characters. <laughs> uh, and the ones I feel like I feel like braid girl's characterization I really didn't understand, but I I think that was kind of a reflection of where she is because she's also like uncertain about who she's supposed to be in this episode. I feel. Yeah. Um, and whereas the rest of them have like a bit more like obvious characteristics her it's just like she's here with her family and her boyfriend and but also she's doing braid ceremony shenanigans um she's definitely our like main character for this episode for sure because like she is in a dynamic situation right like this is a character who is going through a uh, dramatic point in her life like the braiding ceremony in, in in the show is set up as like this is the coming of age ceremony um you know ashwin is uh, uh becoming a becoming a woman and is sort of earning her place within the within mm-hmm. the community which is i think really cool and but does mean that she's very dynamic um, and also very un, un unfocused maybe as compared I, I to the other I, characters it felt to me like she was lacking agency in a way like a lot of things were kind of happening at her and so like part of the core of this episode for her is that she's kind of being forced to make a decision and she's not really willing to do that yeah um everything's just kind of happening at and around her and it, it kind of goes into that opening scene like she gets pushed into the river the river carries her um and like while she's trying to do things she's trying to swim she's trying to struggle it doesn't go well and then once she relaxes then she is carried and i feel like that's a fairly strong metaphor for her entire character in this episode um yeah but it kind of made it feel like at first i wasn't even sure if she was a character or (laughs) if it was just like oh is this scene just to introduce this like cabal of ladies and like is this person just like a totem they're gonna throw into the river or is this going to be a character i had no idea honestly i was actually pretty surprised when we showed up back in town and um they uh they established that um is it rand is that the guy's name yeah yes, that's yeah our, that's our bow boy yeah they established that rand is is her lover um and it was kind of like that actually surprised me i was like i kind of thought maybe our main characters would be more disconnected and then they discover each other through the like course of events but they're they're actually like a group of people who knew each other and that kind of surprised me i guess off the bat yeah they're all very very close to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, um. Yeah, the rest of the characters, their introductions are pretty uh, minimal. Like, we get one guy is bad with money and his family sucks and is poor or whatever. And that's kind of his whole character is that he tries to take care of his sisters and he has a heart of gold, but he's a piece of shit. Um, and like everything yeah. he does in the episode is just that, like five times over. Um, character is Matt for those listening and good. care. <laughs> I didn't know that at all. Um, 
and then you have blacksmith husband whose whose characterization seems to be that he has a wife like that seems <laughs> like that's kind of it um and he's kind of is interesting all, I guess. yeah <laughs> um and we'll i guess we'll get to the point where uh his characterization that i established changes somewhat later on but early on that's kind of it is he's maybe maybe he's like the more stable one of that triad of friends but um that, he has a wife and that's kind of it he's definitely yeah. the most adult in like the way yes. it's portrayed we have yes. matt who like is refusing to grow up in a sense um we have rand who is still very dependent on his father or at least is caring for his father mm-hmm. but definitely still seem like his father tam seems to be like in complete control of like himself so it doesn't seem like it's a caretaker role it's more of like yeah still hanging out with dad but then we have perrin who is like runs a black runs a smithy with his wife it's it's yes. very um very yeah. very mature yeah i think it's 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 kind of key to note that he's the only one whose parents we don't see at all mm-hmm. um so like i maybe there's a story behind that or maybe there's not but like it does kind of establish him as being more independent than the others um and you get a sense that like rand and and awen if I, I that's not her name that's someone from the lord of the rings what's her name edwin 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 um so rand and edwin they kind of come off as like oh these young lovers or whatever whereas uh perrin and 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 his wife come off as like no no these are like a husband and wife yeah Um, it's like a very different energy between them Um, the wife is layla in case again people care about names i'm pretty sure that her name is never spoken and i'm pretty sure she doesn't have a single line of dialogue in this episode it's spoken briefly um, okay when i think edwin is sort of and so the, the campfire of me when, when the name is smoking, it's there. So when they're all sitting in uh, in the inn having a drink, and Edwin points out, it's like, yeah, you're here having a drink, and your wife's back at the blacksmith doing all the work. Right. <laughs> it was such an odd moment too, because like it's clearly a celebratory day. So like I feel like mm-hmm. they're they're trying to tell something with like that scene, but it's not clear to me what they're trying to tell with that scene. It it, it seems very combination of rushed and forced it it felt like it was a pretty strong characterization of this of this character like it's one note because she doesn't really do very much in the episode but Mm. like it felt like it's like oh she's very kind of hard-nosed and dedicated to her work and also like the way that she is dressed and styled kind of comes off as like oh she's very strong and all this stuff um and so it kind of felt like maybe i like i don't know the situation but it's like oh like parents not here so i got to do all the work so i'll be strong or whatever but it kind of like that was kind of the one note of her characterization i felt like if if that's what it was trying to communicate it did a pretty good job of it yeah that, that makes sense uh, i agree yeah. actually that that whole section also um was, was one of the things i wanted to get into a little bit is um so there's that there's an added i guess grittiness to the this first episode compared to the books mm. Um, like at the start of the books, em- Emmonsfield and the Two Rivers, it's very like perfectly pastoral. Interesting. They've had a they've had a shitty winter, but it's like everything's quite generally quite pleasant. Um, and then you know in in this first episode, we've got you know Matt's parents are just awful. Yeah. Um, Perrin is maybe not a good husband. Un- unclear he's at least like inattentive or immature about it yeah and just everything just it also just seems sort of i guess you know more crowded and, and dirty yeah i kind of liked the um 
because I was trying to get a sense of like scale of who are these people and what is this town. I thought the the stuff in the tavern did a good job of being like, oh, this is like a really tight knit community. Um, and you, know, it's like it's kind of like gritty or whatever, but like you get a good sense of like camaraderie between all the people there, and they're they're having a lot of fun. And then you know when someone when the outsider shows up, like everyone notices. Um, yeah. And it's like, oh yeah, like these people are so close knit that anyone who's not familiar would really stand out. Um, so I thought that was like pretty well done, actually. Yeah, um, yeah. I really, I really enjoyed that. That was, I, I think that was, that was, I, I, it was interesting. I think the the Beltine, like the 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 floating of the candles as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I but, I like that. That was something yeah. that they, they flushed out a little bit more than, you know, in the books. It's just they all get together and have a party. Right. Um, yeah. It's and a great also, party. That, that, that was pretty good at establishing character backgrounds as well as like, oh, you know, you know, Rand's mom's dead or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was... Off. Sorry? His little, his little speech when they were hanging up uh, the lantern was very much, you know, it's, it's up to us what to, what to do with the time we are given. So right. Gandalf talking to uh... <laughs> may, may I have a very minor gripe about uh, contrast between uh, TV show and book at this point? Books. Yeah, yeah. Um, the lighting of the candles with uh, matches bothered me extremely. That bothered me too, but not because of a book thing. But I actually this caused me to look it up because I I had it in my head that matches were a really modern invention. And then I looked it up, and it was like, oh, the you know the Chinese invented matches in the 1300s or something. I was like, okay, fine, that's kind of close enough. But uh, sorry, continue. That actually is really, really good connection. Um, again, I don't want to spoil like like this is kind of touching on future stuff, but like the way matches exist in the book series is very similar to like that aspect. Like it's it's like they don't they're not they're like introduced within the time span of the book series but like it's it's not a common thing um and there's an interesting tie-in between matches and fireworks in the book series right. which um which which is a neat thing because again i think china is is also thought of as the originator of fireworks so yes. the fact that there is that connection I, I wonder if historically there is a connection between fireworks and uh yeah, matches as well sure it's I mean, like I think- sulfur or whatnot you would mm-hmm. probably also want a really controlled way of starting a fire if you're working with fireworks <laughs> you don't just want to bang two pieces of flint next to each other <laughs> next to all the fireworks yeah. just you know um, have some sparks <laughs> um but yeah so should we get into the our other main characters our, our outsiders because i found them kind of a big contrast to um the rest of our character introductions uh yeah we should yeah yeah, Rand and sorry, not Rand, Lan, <laughs> Lan and Moraine. Right. So I don't know which one of them is which because again, I didn't pick up almost anyone's name in this episode except for Tom. We'll get to Tom. Um, but I have a bit of a weird problem with like Samurai Knight guy. It just he it feels That's like Lan, he stands. Yeah. It feels like he stands out like a bit much with being like weird samurai guy. Um, I don't know. What did you guys think of these two? I mean that that's very much his his vibe, right? In in the books as well, like he he, he stands out. Okay. Yeah. yeah um, it, 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 I mean, in a lot of ways, Moraine, who is the um, 
I say I, the the lady, uh, and Lan are meant to stand out almost anywhere, just even just by virtue of their station and who they are, and um, g- generally even like the way they dress should be, in mm-hmm. some ways, unique from a lot of uh, especially a lot of the characters we've met so far. Um, so that's that's one aspect, and then also Lan, yeah, as as Dan is pointing out, is has a very unique place within the story as well because of his heritage. Yeah, there was something about his like design or accoutrement or whatever that made me think of like, oh yeah, this is someone's like second D and D character where they're like, oh yeah, we're I'm gonna be a samurai in this Western fantasy, isn't that like edgy or something? Like that was just kind of the vibe I got off the bat a little bit. Right. Um, so, but like, I'm not, I'm not trying to denigrate his entire character or anything. It just kind of made me laugh when, when he kind of showed up a bit more. I think yeah, what I mean, we're... Oh, go ahead, Randy. <laughs> oh, no, I was just going to say, I think what'll be really interesting to see, um, I, just based on like the trailer, I will say like, I'm not, I'm not trying to draw on like book knowledge, but just based on the trailer, it looks like they explore um, quite a variety of like aesthetics or, or, or like, feels like you were mentioning kind of this like almost more um western style feel to uh the two rivers where we are starting um as compared to lan and i think it'll be interesting to see how they weave together kind of some of the disparate um uh appearances that we saw in the trailers and definitely that that is something that like the books um enjoy playing with as well is is tying in a lot of different kinds of um culture cultural influences yeah yeah i guess that's that's the thing it's like interesting dealing with this kind of fantasy stuff because like you know there's lots of fantasy tropes in in western fantasy it's like um but it's interesting to know that they're gonna kind of blend in these different cultures in ways that are maybe like not the way that it works in our real world or whatever but like you know that's what fantasy should be doing anyway anyhow but i'm looking forward to seeing that i guess um but yeah, then we get to my favorite character introduction, which is uh, the traveling salesman guy. I love oh, this guy. He's the most fun. He is. I love how he's always smiling. Um, and he's just my. He was my absolute favorite off the bat. I just noted down in my notes like traveling salesman is my favorite. Um, yeah. Adan Fane again, just to share yeah. names. Mm-hmm. Well, um, but yeah, what did you think of of this guy? Um, I think, I, I guess, like, he, he sort of played, I think, a, a slightly smaller role. He doesn't, he doesn't have much of a role in the book. Right. Um, that you, that you see in the, in the first one. And he had, I guess, even, even less here. <laughs> so you don't get to see some, some, I guess, what are his big personality traits or big personality traits that. They, like he likes being the center of attention. He's okay. a bit of bit of a showman. Yeah, I mean they give off like a little bit of that vibe, but they don't spend a lot of time on it. I guess in this episode. Yeah, I really liked his character introduction as well. I thought, yeah, he he's very he's very um like I, like I'm really drawn to him as a character. Like he's smiling. He's he seems very happy. He's bringing this colorful wagon into town, and then we immediately get thrown into this kind of contrast with his character, right, where he acts as a fence for one of our other characters, Matt. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which I think is really really uh, really interesting. Kind of like to have a character be be the, the, you know 
portrayed in sort of two ways con contrastingly immediately it kind of makes you think like hey what, what what's this character's deal yeah and i think it, we'll get to some other stuff he does in a minute as well a bit later but yeah um so i guess we should kind of move on a bit to maybe or is there anything you guys want to say more before we get to the big kind of twist or climax of the episode uh i think no. that was most of my my general thoughts were sort of the the build up so there there is one thing i want to touch on which is that um and we were talking about this in the in the green room but this is this was hornier than i expected it to be so we have um like uh we have teens fucking on the countertop instead of washing the tankards we never see them wash the tankards um someone's got to wash those tankards um and then we also have like intimate hot tub scene with our outsiders <laughs> um so this kind of surprised me because um i have i mean i had no idea what to think going in but i didn't i didn't think we'd be getting a teen teen fucking in the first episode so uh i don't know what did you guys think about that part of the show uh i mean so it's definitely guess uh, right off the bat it's not not a book thing uh you have to get many books in before you get any teen <laughs> fucking in the the books um but yeah i think it's always something that just I feel that sometimes shows will do, and it's it's less here because it was sort of off camera. It's like, yeah. oh, we don't have enough actual content to fill this episode. Well, let's just throw in a sex sex scene, right? Uh, I'd say there's a little little less of that here, but sort of that it was there at all was kind of just like, why? <laughs> I, I will say part of me thinks that uh, it's just like, well, Game of Thrones did it, so we have to. Right. Um, stretching yeah. myself a little bit and being like, let's give them benefit of the doubt. I will say that like maybe they were trying to emphasize um, the intensity of the different relationships, right? How close are <laughs> these characters? Um, yeah. It's it very much like getting into the same tub naked, like sets a bar of like Lan and Moraine are extremely comfortable with each other right yeah. like it, it sets a very high bar of like how comfortable these two people are traveling together we still don't have details on like their exact level of their relationship based on the mm -hmm. the, the the tv show itself um so that'll be interesting to see how it develops and then obviously with rand and ejween i think it um is meant to give a lot more oomph to uh i guess maybe a little bit of a twist with Ejween's character, which is right, that yeah. dilemma that she's dealing with. So yeah. as we, yeah, I guess now as we're going to move into those kind of some of those resolutions or those peaks of the episode though, that will, you know, we can talk about whether that paid off or not. Right. Yeah. I think that's a good point about, about Ejween because it's like, she had been very passive and well, I mean, and kind of reticent to interact with anyone earlier in the introductory uh, part of the episode. And then, so that kind of shows like, Oh, there's a, you know, she fucks, I guess, is kind of what it shows. But, but yeah. I, I say one thing that was very true, I thought, to the characterizations uh, from the books is when she mentions to Rand that she's sort of in this position of having to make a decision, he just gets kind of huffy and leaves. Mm -hmm. That is very much how I think if if that scene had gone down in the had started out in the books, that's how he would have reacted. Yeah, he's definitely. It's funny because the show kind of sets him up. To me, in my my interpretation, it's like, oh yeah, here's our protagonist. He's like the pretty boy, whatever. 
Um, but then he is very huffy, and he's just like, I need to go to the mountains and think, um, which is pretty <laughs> funny. Uh, kind of showing maybe his immaturity there. Yeah. I, I'm really looking forward to him being called wool-headed. I feel like oh, yes. we didn't get that yet, and I'm, <laughs> I'm sad. Um, so we, you know, we have our festival, and then um, that you get we we have kind of our twist in in the episode where the episode turns into like a thirty minute fight scene with all of these monsters showing up and killing people. Yeah. And there's a few things to note off the bat here because the first thing that I found really funny was the first guy who dies, Tom. Um, he has his name said more than anyone else in this episode because he's uh, he's doing they're doing square dancing basically. And he's square dancing with Ajween, and then he kind of falls forward because he just got a like an axe to the to the back. And she's like, "What's the matter, Tom? Tom, what's going on? Your name is Tom. I'm going to keep saying your name." Um, and then he's just dead. And I was like, "Why does you know why does Tom get all these shoutouts, but but no one else does?" I have to so, make uh, you care about Tom. He just died. Yeah, it's like, what do we know about Tom? He's tall. His name is Tom. He's dead now. So, <laughs> that might be a little bit of a just that. A wink to to the readers, because uh, there is a character named Tom, who normally would have appeared by this point, but doesn't in the show. Interesting. Okay, that's fun. Um, so I think I assume that's what they were going for there. Yeah, I mean, I I, I would give them enough credit to say that might have been what they were doing, but yeah. um, it just really stood out to me. I was like, why do I get to learn this guy's name and no yeah. one else's name? Um. <laughs> But yeah, so chaos ensues, and the the next thing that really caught my eye was, like, it we get a shot of traveling salesman who's still smiling, and he just kind of like backs off into, into the, uh, you know, into the shadows. And so my yeah. immediate reaction in my notes, I just have in all caps, betrayed by salesman with a bunch of question marks. So, like I said, he was my favorite immediately, and then they add this to him, and it's like, oh boy, salesman's up to some shit, and I want to know more about salesman. Um, no. Yeah. Well, we should I, we should be getting more salesmen soon. Excellent. I'm really like this is this is like long story wise, but I'm really interested to see what they do with Pat and Fane. Um, there's th- th- there's there's like definitely like I feel like levels to which um, the character could be incorporated, um, and like we, we don't know yet. Uh, yeah. And that's 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 awesome. That that, that uh, yeah. His actor seems really cool. Like again, mm-hmm. like his characterization seems really nice. So like, if they invest into this character, I think that would be really awesome. Whether they will or not, I don't know. We'll see. And yeah, so then this kind of gets to something that I've, I kind of find annoying in in fantasy adaptations is like the focus on fighting. There, this does turn into like a twenty plus minute fight scene, and they have like four separate like two-on-one fights with these monsters yeah and it seems like they really wanted this to be exciting but it i got really bored of this fight honestly um like it felt like there was like one too many set pieces set piece fights so we have like rand and his dad fighting one Mm -hmm. monster and then we have ashween and um her mentor fighting another monster um and then we have uh perrin and his wife fighting a monster we have um, Matt and his family hiding from monsters. And it's like, I get it. You kind of set up this ensemble and you want to see how they all interact here. But it felt really w- strange to me that they just kind of had all of these fights in sequence. 
If I told you that only one of all of the fight sequences that you see in the show appears in the book, which one would you think appears in the book? The so my guess would actually be the one with Rand. Um, and the reason for that is one very like kind of showy detail they put in, which was his father takes out what kind of looks like a katana or a more refined sword, and it has this heron emblem on it. Yeah. And that seemed like a very specific thing. And like I have no idea what that emblem is. You I'm sure you guys do. Um, but that seemed so specific that um I I feel like that's gonna be my vote. The the backup the more obvious one I think would be the the parent fight because he kills his wife, so like that's probably in the book, but um Big big detail for the character. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what 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 is the correct answer? Yeah, you 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 guessed it exactly, and now that's yeah, it it is the Rand fight, um, and Tam with the uh, one Trolloc as uh, the random peon, oh, peons of the darkness are called in uh, yeah this this uh, uh, this fantasy series. Yeah, and then instead of the once you've seen that fight, instead of the rest of the fights, what you get is sort of the suspenseful scene of him trying to carry his his injured father to back to town through the night with all the you know the troll arcs out there that's yeah that's interesting because we do kind of i guess we get that scene more after the troll arcs have been defeated or vanquished um and there's they put a lot of tension into that scene which is interesting because we actually saw what happened to everyone um so that that scene would make a lot more sense and if we had only seen one of the fights and then we go back out and we're like oh well what happened that we missed yeah, and you can find out kind of post facto, like, oh, parent's wife is dead, and yeah. um, you know, uh, uh, is it sorry the mentor is that the mentor? I forget her name, but she's she's missing now, and yeah, so he's getting pulled off into the night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was another. Actually, I want to note that one because that um, that screamed to me of like symbolism in all caps because she gets carried off by her braid. Um, so that also felt very like specific. It's like yeah. ooh. This braid, what does it symbolize? Is it, you know, whatever? I don't even know what, like, I couldn't even really guess at what it was trying to say necessarily, but it felt like they were trying to say something with that. I mean, um, you are Captain Good. I was to say, yeah, the, the braid is an, an important part of her character in, I, I think, because it, it's, you know, it's very, it's very, like, it symbolizes the connection to the two rivers, sort of to home. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's one of the, like, the more for, for the characters is one of the like the physical connections back to home, right? I, I would but say like, for Nynaeve, like it's her... almost a talisman, <laughs> right? But like by carrying her off by the braid, it's like was she doomed to this fate by her connection to home? Like that doesn't seem to make any sense, right. um, but that did happen, and I did note it. It felt like it felt. It felt like, you know, big flashing letters on the screen of, like, this is saying something, and I don't really know what it's saying. I think one of the things it's saying is uh, don't uh, don't have long hair or loose-fitting clothes in a fight. <laughs> I, guess, I think that's the message here. Um, the interesting, too, I will say, um, the connection to home and, like, the importance of that braid. When you uh, kind of also reminds me of a scene earlier where Nynaeve and Moraine interact and Moraine sort of highlights that Nynaeve is not from the two rivers, which Mm -hmm, is a really interesting kind of um, 
thing that like yeah like in a sense like she's get getting carried away by the braid which is tying her to this location but also like she was never meant to be here so sort of like punishment maybe for trying to be a two rivers folk hmm. yeah interesting i guess yeah. it's kind of just interesting to note then that like this show is does seem to be trying to do some stuff that's like kind of varsity level for tv which is nice i guess including uh, something to talk about at least yeah i was, was gonna have to see how it how it goes on um in into the the future episodes because certainly in in the books there's a lot of like little details that'll happen mm-hmm. um, and it's actually one of the things that makes them super rereadable is this little things if you read it it's like oh this is just some random little detail and then later on their books later something something will happen and something that little moment has huge importance and you won't necessarily catch it until you go back and read it again. It's like, oh, wait, right. That that's what this this little thing is actually hugely important, right? So I'm yeah. guessing that, like, for example, that Heron Deckel might have been, you know, something like that in the books potentially. <laughs> if maybe yeah, that that, was, that one is paid off like fairly quickly, like within the okay, same sure. book. But that but that kind of that kind of element for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 I would say that like. Yeah, it, you know, the Heron is an interesting um, example of it because I think that, like, the true meaning of it doesn't get paid off for quite a while. Right, um, okay. Yeah, like, the more of the sword, like, the sword's existence, I guess, gets paid off um, quickly. Like, it takes a while for you to kind of get the full full story behind that. Right. Yeah, there's, there is quite a lot of world building that sort of happens. <laughs> throughout the entire series what what i will say um uh, i guess this is again going going back before the fight but one thing that i thought was interesting about uh the two rivers as a whole is um they definitely make the two rivers folk feel more worldly than they're portrayed in the first book but I think in many ways are more is more authentic to um the characterization of the of the townsfolk in the future. So like I feel like it's accurate to the books rather than accurate to the book, which is right. I think an interesting thing that like they are writing this like like unlike Game of Thrones, they're writing this with the knowledge of exactly where the book series went and so whether or not they decide to follow that same path they can still sort of reward even like things early in a sense they can reward you with 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 callbacks to later books in earlier episodes that's a, that's a really good um good observation yeah. And I think it's especially important to to really try to do that in a series that's this long and has been going on for so many years and ultimately like has like a few different authors involved, right? So being yeah. able to take a holistic look at it to produce this rather than having to only focus on these segments where they may not necessarily be a, a thousand percent compatible is like mm-hmm. pro- it's a pretty smart move, I think. Do we? I, I guess I'm really interested in maybe like tackling some of the differences in like more explicit fashion. I was wondering if we should move on to the. Um, I, I guess if there was any more stuff we wanted to recap, I wanted to uh, move on to is this what happened uh, segment so for us. I, I have one one more silly thing I wanted to point out, which is just I hate 
the way the CGI magic looks in this, where oh. um, Moraine is just throwing around like ghostly wisps and stuff, and it also goes on for way too long, which is just a problem I think with this action scene. But that, bo- I just like watching, having like five minutes of her like throwing magic balls at orcs was kind of dumb. I thought, but uh, yeah, I don't think- need to say more about it <laughs> necessarily. Because oh, actually, I, I agree that they, they could have shortened it down, but I actually, on the whole, I liked the way they portrayed the way she was channeling the one power, mm. uh, which is, you know, casting magic using the force, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, in the series. Because, uh, you know, in the books, it is very much like you're you're pulling together these strands, you kind of weave them together. Um, and it's not always the most you know, efficient or quickest way, which is why Lan is there. Right, that makes sense. And that was actually, I think that's a good point, because when she shows up, like, so I got the sense, like, in the first opening scene, we see these magic ladies on horseback, and they collapse a mountain, and it's like, oh, these 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 people mean business. Mm-hmm. And then when, um, when Moraine and Lan show up to the tavern, everyone's kind of, like, spooked by them, and they say things like, oh, she could probably hear us. Like, it, you kind of get the feeling that they are kind of omnipotent a bit like they could do anything they could defeat anyone they're super powerful um but then when the fight happened i was kind of surprised at how weak she was in a sense like obviously she kills like a, a hundred orcs or whatever um but it, it takes like all that she has to do this and i kind of thought oh she's just gonna like flick her wrist and make them all explode or something like i thought she was going to be like that powerful and then it turns out that she's less powerful than that which so that was kind of interesting i guess yeah, I think that's just one of the things that kind of makes, like, that's also the balance you have to strike when you have wizards in your story mm-hmm. is, you know, how do I make them cool and able to do fun magic stuff, but also have there be problems that they can't just immediately solve on their own. Right. And how do you do that? Where And my understanding is that the series of books is like fairly detailed and it's not just going to be like, oh, it's not a problem. Don't worry about it. Like it's going to kind of put an effort to make it make sense. Which I think Definitely. a lot of franchises don't. I, I will say like something that like maybe isn't clear is that the first scene where we see a lot of ladies on horses, mm-hmm. there's a there's a there's a lot more power there than like just multiple moraines, if that makes sense. Like the yeah. the, 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 the 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 mechanics of the magic in, in the series definitely like <laughs> they 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 go into maybe too much detail, and we won't see that in the TV show. But the definitely there's an idea that like groups of people can do more together than alone, which I think is also a big theme of the series as a whole. I think that is something that like many, many times comes up is this idea that like one individual can only do so much. But, you know, if you get many people on board, you can literally move mountains, as we see in the first scene, in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, But yeah, so that was the one thing I wanted to note. Um, But yeah, so let's move on to to our quiz segment is this what happened um this is the segment where where dan and randy ask me whether i think that certain details or scenes or interactions are from the books or new to the series Um, all right so Uh, what have you got for me i think our first question has to be this one just so we don't give it give it away immediately uh so it's 
There was actually a new character introduced for this episode. Ooh. Who do you think that was? Ooh, okay. This is interesting, because you've alluded to some characters existing elsewhere, <laughs> unless you were trying to trick me. Um, oh, oh. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure. Um, because I'm pretty sure it's not going to be Rander as dad or or Perriner. Well, I mean, it's not going to be. I, I don't think it's going to be any of the four main characters, I guess, or their immediate relations. The way we've talked about them, um, I'm I'm going to guess the character we didn't much talk about, which is uh, Voldemort, who's in the forest doing stuff mysteriously. Um, <laughs> yeah, is it Voldemort? Uh, it's not actually Voldemort. Oh, okay. Voldemort is actually an accurate uh, character. Uh, <laughs> you will learn that they are named Midral or Shades. Um, but yeah, the... yeah, there's a bunch of them. Yeah. Okay. So who who's the new character? Perrin's wife. Oh, yeah. interesting. Layla. Yeah. Um, so you guys I... picked up her name even though she's not in the books. Good job. Oh, I made sure to double check before we started, so I wouldn't <laughs> give it up by going, "Oh, it's just Perrin's wife, whatever her name is." I, I okay. did watch the t- episode twice. I will, I will, I will say okay. that. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, that's not that surprising because she doesn't have a lot of lines of dialogue or much characterization. So, but it does yeah. kind of give some motivation for parents. So that is kind of surprising because Perrin doesn't get a lot of motivation in this episode other than his wife and her death. So, yeah. it makes me kind of curious what he was like in the books uh, a little bit. Yeah, I think um, it's also like the. Yeah, you know, I think that there's, you know there's there's some debate about you know you introduce a character's wife out of yeah. nothing and just just to murder her in the first episode to create angst. Yeah, that's not not necessarily a good look. Um, but I think like the way they handled her once once they put her in is I think like it it meshes with with Perrin's overall like character arc. Okay. So I think you know if. If you say we've aged up our characters a little bit, well, one of them probably should be married now. We have to kill the wife. Who's it gonna be? Right. Parents, the logical choice. Yeah. Okay. So that that sounds like it makes sense, but that's fun. I like that question. That was a good one. Yeah. Yeah. They, they definitely will will add the like. That's one of the things that I think was really interesting that they did go with. Um, yeah, I guess aging up. I didn't really think about that, but they are they are aged up in this in this slightly. They're like slightly like four years, of... right? Two or three years. Yeah, because because they're like they're like like it's interesting because Edwin is set up as uh, as like she's just becoming an adult now. Yeah, right. Um, but then like Perrin is already married for a while, so like yeah. how old is Layla? Right, like, like that's interesting. Yeah. It did kind of feel like they weren't all the same age, even though the kind of like keystone of the plot is that they're all like exactly the same age. <laughs> yeah. um, actually, on the on the subject of them all being the same age, mm-hmm. um, it's actually one, that's one of the things that they did to I think hide who the Dragon Reborn is a little bit. Right. Uh, so I thought it might be a, you know sort of recurring bit in this section based on this on the episodes so far. Who is your current bet for the Dragon Reborn? I'm going to go with Perrin. Because, you go with Perrin? Yeah, I don't think it's going to be either of the two leads because I think it's going to be someone less obvious, and Perrin's just my pick for that, I guess. Okay. 
yeah, so we'll, we'll leave that one for now. We'll, we'll, keep, we'll keep track uh, on the Dragon Reborn's progress as we go through episodes. All right. And that's one thing I will say is that a big um, conspiracy theory, no, that's not the right, right term, um, fan, fan speculation is that the TV show might do something different than the book. So it might not right. even be that we uh, could tell you the right answer. So that'll be fun to see what they do with it. Yeah, yeah. I'll see. All right, what other what other questions do you have for me? Um Well, I guess yeah, this this one's going to be very you know, very free for you to make up your own own interpretations. Um So minor detail may have even just gone by is, you know, early on when it's like Maureen getting ready for her journeys and she's packing everything and getting dressed, she wraps up a little green Buddha statue. Oh, I missed that. Yeah, minor minor little detail in there, um, but they they showed it, and it is actually a thing. So I don't know if you want to take any guesses to why she's brought her own, her own personal Buddha with her. Hmm. I mean, if it's something that's kind of important to her, is this like a totem through which she channels magic? Or no, because that's all that seems like it's to do with like magic rings and whatnot. I don't know. I mean, we also have the connection of like, oh, she has this uh, traveling companion who seems to be from a distant land, and so that also seems to be from a distant land. So maybe, maybe she was like brought up elsewhere. Um, that'll be maybe that's my guess as to what's going on there. Um, so actually, basically everything you said there is, in some level, correct. Excellent. Uh, but the big one, uh, the big one for for that one is it it is actually a tool for channeling the one power okay um it's they've put it in a in a different place than it appears in the uh in the books um and we're gonna have to see if that's gonna actually make any changes to it because in the books she can't use that one (laughs) do you do you think do you think oh is i thought it was hers that they were showing but you're saying you're saying it's 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 that yeah, no, it's it's, it's the little the, it's the little green it's, man. It's the key, has, eh? Oh, okay. Oh. So uh we'll have to we'll have to see what, what they do with that, whether or not it was just it looks that way as a nod to readers or if mm. it actually is taking on the same role. But yeah, as, as you can tell by me getting down into just random little details there, the, the first two were my big questions for this round. All right. Randy, do you have any is this what happened? Questions. I'm trying to think because th- those were definitely my favorites. Um, well, okay. I was wondering, what do you think that the uh, we can talk about this in general, but do you think that the Lantern Festival was a within the books? Well, I think you guys actually said it was from the books earlier, so I'm going to say yes. But you said it was kind of like different, but it was there. Right, so the festival itself is in the books, but the lanterns were not, which oh, I thought was really interesting. Yeah, yeah, like at least yeah. bring back um, like the uh, the souls of uh, loved ones who have been spun out of the wheel. <laughs> uh, I thought that that was kind of fun. Oh, and uh, my next, I did have one uh, one other one that I thought. The introduction to Ejwin, um mm-hmm. with the tossing off into the river. 
do you think that is a story moment or at least something that they do in the uh, in the two rivers in the books or no i mean i wouldn't be surprised if it's not um so yeah i'll say i'll say that that's not i'll say that that's new to the show yeah it was and like for for me i i i wasn't clear to me I was really surprised by it, and I was I was interested to see like did did it feel like it was a part of the town like from the rest of what you saw? Yeah, that's interesting. Not really, because the rest of the town doesn't feel it. Fe- the rest of the town feels very grounded, and like these are just a bunch of dudes, and they're just doing town stuff. Um, and then that felt much more like oh, there's this. I thought it was like maybe a secret society or something. It felt kind of very disconnected from the rest of the, the town like everyone was very dre- dressed rather nicely and then you go back to the town and everyone's you know in the tavern kind of messy and whatnot so it did feel a little disconnected um i'll say from my perspective when i watched that scene i i felt like it it was a scene that would have made way more sense if it was like the way ejuin becomes a wisdom if like it somehow was meant to be a challenge of some sort. Right. It feels odd for that to be like the challenge that they just put every girl through. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> just like every oh, you turn you turned this age to go go for a swim. Yeah. <laughs> Don't die. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I really didn't like that aspect because it was it was very much it felt like something that some some wool headed men might be doing. Yeah. It felt like yeah. 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 Yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. I I was just gonna say that there is there is like like you were saying there's a lot of element of I think um, maybe not foreshadowing and just metaphor there. So I think that that's a big part of like why the scene maybe will work long term, Mm -hmm. but definitely felt odd within like the context of this episode. Yeah, I was a little confused because it's like okay, this person's clearly some sort of like leader, maybe a spiritual leader or something. And it's not clear to me like who all these other people are. So Ashween came off as like the junior member of this cabal. But then when you get back to town, you find out that like Ashween is going to be the apprentice of the leader. And it's like, well, isn't she new? It, yeah, it did feel like a little strange, I guess. Interesting then, stuff. One, one last one. Um, in, in the show, and I'll give this away. In the show, we find out that Moraine uh, is a I said I uh, when she enters the inn, or or actually, we find out very early on, right? We find out in that first scene uh, when she's looking down on the on her sisters and when she's equipping herself, and she arrives in town as an I said I, and we get the reaction from uh, the town. Yeah. When do you think, like, in the sequence of events that you? within the show when do you think like you as the reader and the characters within the books find out that she is i say that i mean so i'm gonna discount the hot tub scene maybe (laughs) but uh like maybe it's just something where assuming that the raid happens in the in the books where she just like busts out some magic and kind of saves everyone from the raid that might i guess be the revealing moment yeah, and because of like in the in the books, right? We don't we we don't get to see that. We don't find out till um, Rand comes back with right. his father. So it's just interesting how early on we find out about this. And again, that kind of links into how they're pulling from I think um, the the prequel, 
the new spring prequel to form some of this episode and right. probably some of this first season i think they'll be using some of that yeah and i think that's that's interesting as well just because like it felt a bit weird to me in that big climactic scene that like she wasn't helping sooner <laughs> so like it, it kind of almost seems like it almost seems like it would have worked as a reveal if she like was not saving everyone because she didn't want to reveal that she was magic um or something like that but yeah that's interesting yeah that's actually funny is is uh, well i mean this is a this is again this is kind of getting into differences between book and tv show and we'll see this and you're going to get minor spoiler spoilers on this um but uh, in the books um moraine and lan um are actually the ones who alert the town to the attack they come Hmm. running out of the inn saying trollocs are coming and then in fact trollocs start attacking everything and so that similarly the 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 events play out at least in how they're described in retrospect to rand Mm -hmm. um but um this this concept of 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 sort of them showing up like halfway into the fight uh is again i think probably why the fight feels so long right like they 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 spend this entire first half of the fight being like trollocs are the big bad and then another half with slow motion channeling and sword fighting (laughs) right (laughs) interesting Um, actually i guess also in in, you know you you mentioned new spring a little while ago and how they've sort of maureen's introduction they've sort of pulled in a little a little from that um the uh then she talks about she talks about there being a prophecy and now that esadai with white eyes who Mm-hmm. couldn't see anything except the future that's also that that's a, a new spring uh element as well and actually uh so at this at this stage in in the books uh they uh the the they uh they haven't even mentioned the dragon Rebo- reborn to uh to the emmons fielders like they just they just think, oh, there's a bunch of Trollocs attacking. We should get out of here. So they don't. They don't say like, oh, the Trollocs are coming for you for because one of you is the chosen one. So we have to leave right now. Goodbye. That doesn't. Yeah, happen. I think they're coming for you, and then nobody really questions. <laughs> right. Okay. So I can see why they would have changed that then, because it's like, oh, it's uh, you four. You're important. Come with me. And it's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. In, in the book too, I would say the four are almost tricked a little bit into mm. leaving like the, the the it's it's not like the whole town like watches them like mournfully walk off <laughs> if that makes sense it's it's much mm-hmm. more um yeah they they sneak off in the in the dead of yeah. night oh interesting yeah um this is just another like dumb little nitpick that I, I I was thinking of watching this. So they they leave the town because the there's more trollocs coming or another army of something is coming. Um, my thought when I saw that was like, well, that army's still gonna like pass through the town on the way <laughs> right? to get our, yeah. our our friends. So it's like, is this really gonna gonna work? Because they set off in the opposite direction. So I was just like, I'm pretty sure that <laughs> pretty sure your dad's still gonna die there, friend. <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah, that was just a thing I noticed. 
again that hold of sort of that visual of mm -hmm. of the trollocks coming down the mountain feels very much like the show showing rather than telling right the book right. would just tell you that that danger is out there um right. and um so yeah that's an interesting aspect that i think like i'm actually kind of happy because i feel like an exposition would be like pretty boring and would like yeah. take up more screen time so like Again, I feel like those elements, they did a pretty good job of like showing rather than telling. Um, but because they're trying to show so much in a way, um, it does kind of sometimes feel forced and fast. At least that's kind of what it felt like to me. There was like elements of like, why are you doing so much so fast? And then well, it's, it's they also threw in extra storylines. It's because they needed 45 minutes of sword fights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah, I just, I was, uh, oh, oh. Caution about you know taking too much judgment about what's going on here. Um, I think depending on how they start the next episode, um, that is going to tie in because like their their escape from from the town and getting getting away from this batch of Trollocs is is a thing that takes another few chapters in the books, um, right. and that can sort of help explain why that might help explain why they skipped past the town. Sure. Yeah. I'm gonna see. But yeah, I think as it stands right now, it's like why Rand would be thinking anything other than, oh yeah, they're just gonna run through town and murder everyone, including my dad. Yeah. And like obviously, it's a TV show. It doesn't need to like be a hundred percent realistic or whatever. There's wizards and whatnot, like whatever. It was just something that I did think of when I was watching the show. It's just like, uh, you might want to go in a different direction. <laughs> but yeah. So yeah. should we um, should we get to some of our summary thoughts about uh, the episode? I, we've kind of gotten into some of it already, um, but yeah. yeah. So uh, so Daniel, how many wheels of time would you give this episode? Um, I think I would give this uh, the age before the Age of Legends. Uh, good. <laughs> I definitely know what that means. <laughs> it's it's good, but it's not the stuff of legends yet okay fair um, how about you randy how many wheels I, of time would you give this episode well i i went way less uh, nerdy with my raking i'll give it seven wheels out of ten uh i don't i don't remember how many ages there are otherwise i would say out of ages <laughs> but that that was that was kind of where i landed i guess kind of similar to what dan was saying like pretty good like i i enjoyed it like i i felt like i could watch it and just enjoy it and that that was kind of like the what i was my expectations and my hopes and like what i was worried like would come crashing down was like that it just wouldn't be enjoyable to watch and it definitely met that mark and more i would say hmm. yeah um i'm gonna give it three wheels out of five we all have different rating systems and that's quite all right um i i think i didn't really like it that much when i was watching it um like like i've mentioned a few times like i couldn't pick up people's names um some of the special effects bothered me, just like CGI blood. And like I said, I didn't like the way the magic looked. So like things like that. I didn't like how how much of the show was that big fight scene. I didn't think the fight scene was paced very well. Um, it was very repetitious. And but like there was definitely parts of it that I thought were kind of interesting. Like I I remember the the scene in the um in like the sacred pool was like interesting and I wanted to that made me want to know more about the world. And I definitely don't hate our main cast of characters, uh, really. Like, 
I'm kind of interested to know more about their relationships. And so like it, it, it left me interested in the rest of the series, despite having some like quibbles with details and whatnot. Yeah, it's really cool to to hear from someone who's just starting out. Cause like I, I feel like um that's one of the big things that like is is impossible to do as like a longtime reader of it. Like I cannot Mm-hmm. disconnect from like just enjoying all the little things that they do right um and like as long as the story is like fine um i'm excited to be on board so it's interesting to see like you know it, it, it's it's i feel like that that's kind of what i was feeling as i was watching it but i wasn't sure was that like for people who are coming in with no knowledge they're going to be entertained but not necessarily gripped in the same way as some some other shows um that right. have you know, gotten 10 out of 10 from reviewers and things like that. Yeah, I haven't actually looked much at what the critical response has been to the show at all. Um, <laughs> have Have you guys seen any talk about the show? I've been trying to avoid it. Um, <laughs> I just want to try to sort of... Because I'm already, like, it's in a place where it's getting so much built... So so much baggage from having read the books. I didn't want to load it up with more baggage of everybody else's opinions. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I I wasn't afraid of that at all. So I've I've looked a little bit, but definitely haven't like hunted around. I, uh, but uh, it's scoring around seven out of ten as well. Like probably influences my score as well. Um, sure. But uh, I wrote my score before I went and looked at um, what <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes was putting. So you you, you didn't cheat with your score. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> No, no, every everything I've said today is just like off of uh, IMDb, right? Like yeah. I'm just reading comments. So <laughs> Yeah, this I, is this is the Cole's notes. I've just got the notes that uh Jeff Bezos prepared for me. Oh perfect. <laughs> That's great. Right. Oh good old Jeff. We'll have to we'll have to send him this episode before it goes public so he can fact check it for us. Oh, yeah. I I will say something from my perspective why I guess like I am like excited to like enjoy the rest of it is at least for me i'm coming in with like a pretty open mind because i think wheel of time especially lends itself to this idea that like you can tell the same exact story in a different way and it's like Mm -hmm. no less canon if that makes sense like you know if you take lord of the rings for example and you would retell it with you know aragorn not there it would feel like it's not lord of the rings but I think in Wheel of Time, you could cut out or add characters and one could look at the books and be like, yeah, I know this could have happened in the last turning of the wheel. And the same, like the same age could have had like a different, could have had things play out completely differently, but with the same themes. And I'm not bothered right. by that at all. So that's what I'm kind of excited for is I'm, I'm hoping they kind of lean into that rather than going... Um, straight for matching the book especially with how they've done the first episode because they haven't straight up matched the book i'm hoping that they lean into some of that that opportunity to be different yeah that's really cool um obviously like they touch on those themes a little bit in the in the episode so i kind of got a sense of that but uh that's that's a real that's like a cool insight in that you know, you could adapt this many times in many ways, and it should still resonate to people who are like into the themes, as long as they stick to those kinds of themes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, any any final words before we uh, wrap up? 
I'm excited to watch episode two and uh, excited to chat about it with me, with all of you. This was fun. Yeah. 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 We're looking forward to next week's episode. Um, So now I guess it's time for our famous sign off that everyone knows, which is the same as the sign off from the first episode of the show. Almost. There are neither beginnings nor ends to the turning of the wheel of time, but this is an end. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. And that's a good night to Craig. (laughs) Good night, Craig.